Follow now as I read in from a book that is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Um, for 2,000 years, the skeptic has been trying to disprove it, overturn it, uh, find error in it, and they have failed. I'm reading you, I'm reading from a book that has the very imprimatur of the living God on it. At verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Guys, um, this, of course, is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to one of his young um, cohorts in uh, the gospel ministry, and he gives him some instruction. And um, uh, there's several bits of instruction in this little pastoral letter. But uh, you'll notice in verse 1, he says, I want you to stay in Ephesus. He says, Timothy, you remember when I was headed to Macedonia, I told you, I want you to stay in Ephesus. And the reason that he wanted him to, there was a purpose for him asking Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Ephesus, as you know, is a city. Um, It's still over there. (laughs) You can go visit it today if you like. But uh, he says to Timothy, stay in Ephesus. And uh, the reason that I want you to stay in Ephesus is because there's a problem in Ephesus. And the problem is, all kinds of false teaching is going on. And I want you, Timothy, to go fight it. I want you to oppose it. I want you to overturn it. And I want you to defend the truth. Now, you know, guys, um, that's not a very politically correct thing to do anymore. Um, you know, we're not supposed to call uh, any religion or one religion invalid and another valid. You're not supposed to do that anymore. And, and, and we're told that kind and tolerant people uh, simply will not or refuse to oppose anything else because that is, that's intolerant. Um, and what... Paul is telling Timothy is, I want you to get over there in Ephesus and I want you to oppose the spread of false religion. And what we're told is there's no such thing as a false religion. That all religions are equally valid and, and we are to, um, we are to, you know, tolerate every other view of the truth that exists. You know, on, on one occasion, uh, in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is um, getting on a boat to go to Jerusalem, and he meets with the Ephesian elders on the coast of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And he says this. He says, now, when I'm gone, 
savage wolves are going to come and seek to devour you. (laughs) Savage wolves. I mean, that's not even a term we're allowed to use anymore. I mean, you can't talk like that anymore. Don't you call anybody a savage wolf? I mean, a wolf, that's is just, uh, um, you know, it's not supposed to do that. I mean, don't you, I mean, isn't, don't you understand how arrogant and narrow-minded and, and bigoted and sectarian uh, doing things like that is? Stop that. You see, Paul is saying to, 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 to um, Timothy that there are people who have deviated from a standard of truth and he wants it corrected. And today, <laughs> we don't even think there is a standard of truth from which one can deviate. We live in we live in an age of secularism and pluralism and relativism and on and on. And so we're not supposed to talk like that anymore. Um, our culture simply doesn't give us permission to talk like this anymore. Um, opposing and exposing false teaching. Just not allowed. But I can tell you this much. It is the, it is the main concern of this whole book. That is, First Timothy. Apparently, um, Ephesus was a church that was plagued with false teaching. And so Paul begins the book by saying, Timothy, I want you to stay there in Ephesus and I want you to, I want you to get that stopped. I want you to oppose that false teaching. And, 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 you know, he tells him in verse 18 of chapter one, I want you to go out and fight the good fight. Fight? We're not supposed to be fighting. No, 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 no. Stop that fighting stuff. And then in, Oh, in verse 19, he says, um, a holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. That is, by rejecting that standard, Paul says, these people have made shipwreck of their souls. And then in verse 20, he does the unforgivable. He mentions names. He, he's got two guys there, um, Hymenaeus and Alexander in verse 20. I mean, not only does he oppose falsehood, he upholds people who promote falsehood and names them. Names them. That, that's not something you're supposed to do anymore. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter time, later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. All I'm trying to point out is that this book is devoted to um, telling Timothy... To stay in Ephesus and oppose falsehood. Now, as upsetting as all that is, at least, I mean, nobody likes to be lied to. Nobody wants to hold on to falsehood. So as upsetting as it all is that falsehood may exist, here, here's the thing that's the real shocker to me. And I, and I think it will be to you. The real The real heartbreak of this whole thing is that the false teaching and the false teachers originated in the church.
All these guys that were, you know, butchering the truth, they came from the church. They came out from among us. Now, how does something like that happen? Well, there's, there's, there's all kinds of possibilities, and I, you know, I, I can't list them all, but I think there's a couple of mention, a couple of them mentioned in the text. That, that is, how do these, how do people who are a part of the church come out of the church and end up being false teachers and, and promoting falsehood? Well, he says a couple of things. Um, Verse 6, certain persons by swerving from these, that standard that is, having wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers. Gang, do you know that there is a lust for an audience on the part of every preacher? The lust for an audience. You know, you, you go to seminary and you get yourself an MDiv and, and you, um, you get a church and you got a flock of people that are sitting there on a weekly basis listening to you spout. There's a certain appeal to that. And um, any preacher that will tell you it's not in there, he'll lie about other things too. But here's a group of people who, who lust for the office of teacher so that they can have an audience to listen to, um, to all they got to say. Now you can imagine that people are entering into this thing called the ministry without a call from God and, and what kind of deleterious effect that's going to have on, on the message. To simply desire the office without the call of God is going to lead to, you know, kind of a, a shaping or a reshaping of the message. Um, and, and some of it is very deliberate. Guys, a lot of you have never heard of this, but some of you have. Uh, there is a group that travels around the country called the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar. Not the Hitler Seminar. Not the Mussolini Seminar. Not the, uh, uh, you know, but the Jesus Seminar. And these guys travel around the country and they hold seminars that people attend. And what they do is they take beads, uh, variously covered, colored beads, and they, they take the New Testament and they read a pass, uh, they take the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and they read a passage from Jesus that, uh, that, about Jesus, and then they vote. They vote, and I forget the colors, but they vote with a red bead that says, no, that really was, that never took place. And then they vote with a green bead and says, oh yeah, that really is supposed to be in there. And then they, they vote with a black bead and say, that's not supposed to, that, that's terrible. And then they vote with a pink bead and they say, that's really sweet. Or I don't know. They vote with a group of beads. And then they, they tally it all up in the, at the end of the seminar. And, and, and they say, now this is what really happened. And people go to those things. You know, and, and they're, they're intimidated by a bunch of people who've got, who've got capital letters after their name. P-H-D. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got ten of those capital letters after my name. And everybody here knows that I'm no genius. But guys, that's not scholarship. That's the lunatic fringe. And yet, it's called the Jesus Seminar, and churchmen are attending, and it sprang from under, because of this, I guess at least, this lust to be a teacher and have a following. I gotta hurry, but.
he goes on to say they're, they're designed to be teachers of the law. I think there's a hint there, guys, that, that one of the reasons that we have so much falsehood is because of a misunderstanding and misapplication and a misuse of the law. But look at what he says in verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good if, we, if one uses it lawfully. My, my point is, there's, there's this desire to, to present one's slant on the law so that he can create a bunch of dutiful followers. And very frankly, there's a lot of talk about duty. But very little talk about grace. Very little talk about faith. Very little talk about Christ. But but duty and law and obedience and responsibility. And I, and I, those are good. Those are nice words. But they must be managed rightly, as he says in verse eight. But there's this. That's another source of falsehood, guys. That's all I'm saying is that um, a mismanagement of the law. But then there's another possibility that's not mentioned in the text. That is, another possible explanation as to the rise of falsehood within the church. That's all I'm saying. And that, uh, that possibility is just a sloppy, trifling negligence over the truth. Where, where we drift slowly away from the, from the apostolic message which is about Christ and Him crucified. And so people are shipwrecked. People abandon, says chapter 4, verse 1. They depart. Um, all this error and this apostasy and false teaching is born. It, it originates out of the church. And there's all kinds of ways that you can get there. And one of them happened, I think, is that we just neglect the central core of the gospel message. And other things get moved to center stage like, like law or, or doctrine even. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you know how much I value doctrine. If you don't know, then you just need to come to my systematics class. But things get moved like law and doctrine or even personalities. Or other things get begin to occupy center stage, which ought not be there. And um, again I say, the great grief is the origin is the church. Um, now, I say all of that to bring us to this. One possible line of defense, one possible antidote to the appearance and the arising of falsehood among us is that. One of the things that I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that will help us to avoid theological imbalance and mistakes is this sacrament. And, and, and the reason I think that's true is because it's a monthly return to a simple, basic message of, of Christianity. And that is Christ's 
substitutionary death for his people. Not a lot of razzmatazz. Not a lot of bip-bop-bang. Just a simple presentation of Christ crucified, which is the gospel, gang. The, the church is simply, she's, she's just supposed to be a mail carrier of that message. That's what she's supposed to be. She's supposed to be a broadcaster, a, a, a message bearer of a simple message that somehow gets lost in personality and in law and in, and in church growth and in doctrine. That gets lost. And the result is false teaching. And I'm suggesting, guys, that one possible way of avoiding that negligent drift is by a regular monthly reminder of the simple core message of Christianity. Christ crucified for sinners. And the church is supposed to be taking every opportunity she's got to point you to Christ. Because my brother and sister in Christ, our hope is wrapped up in this. Not in this. It's wrapped up in the reality to which this sacrament points. call you once again to feed on Christ along with me. Let's do that. Our Father, I do pray that you will use uh, this strategy to prevent us from drifting negligently into that which is error or, or imbalance or, or foolishness or gamemanship or whatever, Lord. We want to avoid all that so that men can feed off of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So would you meet us here once again and remind us that our hope is wrapped up in a person and the accomplishments of that person, that person being Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, be present as we observe this sacrament. We ask it in Jesus' name.